What's going on, guys? Everybody, I'm afraid of this sign. Are you guys all awake? Because I know you've had grueling Marine Corps-type training going on in the last couple of days here. So I appreciate you trying to stay awake for me tonight. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to visit the verse that Evan has pointed us to appropriately for this. Listen, before we read from that passage, but be turning there with me. Can I just take a moment? I want to do something I don't know many of you guys have in your heart to do as well. It's just to be thankful for the people that God puts in our lives that are playing such a meaningful role in things that matter to us. And so I'm very grateful for the leadership and the care and the way these guys bring God near to us in our lives. And there's a lot of folks in this room that, that fit that description. And I, I'm not going to thank everybody in the room here, but I want to thank Evan and Jordan uh, for just their leadership amongst our youth and bringing God near to us in a noisy world where God can seem so far away and so removed and so disconnected from our lives. We, we need these moments. And so thank you guys for creating these opportunities to be together. Um, all right, well, this is a thought I was having when I was just sitting in the back of the room there, looking and surveying some of the faces that are here. All right, here's just a reality. Right? We, we get familiar with these settings, right? You guys, this is probably not your first youth, youth camp. These, these things take place, right? I mean, here we are living our life, going to youth camp. God, God's going to do something here in your life. And there's going to be a trajectory that comes from here, right? So your life is going to launch out into a future. And so years from now, you're going to be in some kind of place. And the real question is, is anything that happened here going to have an impact on you years from now? And I just want to tell you, these are, these are realities. These are the realities that I'm celebrating in my heart and that are heavy on my heart as I walk into this room tonight. Right, so I can think of people who were in youth meetings when I was doing youth ministry, and their life had a trajectory, right? One of them I saw in the back of the room. Where'd Jeff go? Pastor Jeff, who he's sitting all the way as far back as he can. That's how he used to do in the youth meetings as well. As far in the back as he could, away from God. No, that's not true. Um, all right, so Jeff was in youth meetings as a teenager in settings like this. And some of you guys, that's Pastor Jeff to you. And his life had a trajectory. There are moments that I can remember God doing things in his life, things that were taught, moments of ministry that took place, that stirred something, planted something, just awakened something in a moment that created a trajectory. And, and from his life now, he is serving God leading a church, affecting people's lives. Right? I was blessed the other day for Father's Day. I got a text from a young guy who was in the youth ministry years ago with us, and he's now a pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. And on Father's Day, he just wanted to send me a text just thanking me for the influence that I had in his life early on. He came to Christ. I remember him coming to Christ. We had done a, an outreach event with a bunch of youth. We loaded them all up on a bus and drove them over to Biloxi Beach. And I, I preached on the beach. We swam, we messed around, and I just preached on the beach. And he got saved on that beach. 
And God began a work in his life. Just a meeting, just like this. And I don't even know how interested he was in that moment. It's the first time I remember meeting him. He got invited by somebody in the youth group. Maybe you're here tonight because you got invited to this weekend by somebody else. But you just don't know what God might want to do right now, tonight, in your life, while you're here. That starts a trajectory. And now he's serving God. He's a pastor serving God in Memphis, Tennessee. Vogels, we mentioned the Vogels. They were going to pass out a minute ago, but they're still awake. Um, you know, uh, Ashley Vogel was in the youth ministry uh, when I was a youth pastor in meetings just like these, and God was doing things in her life. And then she ended up marrying Aaron. You know, that wasn't the best choice, but, you know, still, she was godly up until that moment. Um, God, there was a trajectory for her life, but can I just sober you a little bit? Because I've had two trajectories land on me this week of people that I've known who were in youth ministry settings uh, that I knew about, that I, at least I participated in some of them, and uh, they're both going through divorces right now. They were in settings just like this. They were in meetings just like this. And right now they're wrestling through the ugliness of divorce because they can't figure out a way to love the person that they're joined themselves to. There's some things about God that haven't become real enough for them to be able to stick it out and love people through difficult times. I mean, you know, God might share something with you tonight that might help one day your marriage survive. Maybe you're not thinking about that because maybe you're not going to have marriage anywhere in the near future, but something you could pick up right here tonight tomorrow night, this morning in one of the meetings, could be what God uses years from now in your life. So listen, don't, don't make light of these moments. God is using these things, and he's with us in these settings. All right, well, tonight, my assignment was to talk to us about the mind and our strength from this passage. Let's, let's read the passage here. Let me get to the right chapter. Mark chapter 12. Verse 28, just going to read two verses, three verses, two, three. Verse 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Let's pray together. Father, these are just words, and we know a few of them, but Lord, the power of these words in our lives is because of your Holy Spirit bringing them to life. And we trust you are in this room with us. You are here to engage our minds and our hearts, to overwhelm us, to make yourself known to us. Spirit of God, be in this meeting tonight with us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, lives that absorb what you're doing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, look, this verse, I love this verse. There's so much here in this verse, right? Um, I, I love the fact, maybe this is kind of weird, but I love the fact that this verse starts in an argument, right? These guys are having a dispute. Now, wh why do I love that? I'm going to come back and tell you why I love it later. 
But because I think one of the things, the worst things that can happen to you is that, that you just live a life that's indifferent. You just hear, you're just never in a setting where anything gets you, just kind of animates you and gets under your skin. Well, something got under these guys' skin, so they're having a dispute. They're having an argument, and Jesus is going to step right into the middle of that argument. And it's an argument about what is important. Is there like a dance club going on behind me? I don't know, man. Um, all right, so another thing, helpful thing in this verse, I'm not spending time in these, in, in these elements, though. This verse is going to talk about two things that, that create this umbrella for your life. If you're trying to figure out what you're going to do in your life, there's two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Right? If you're trying to figure that out, that, that's what God's called your life to do, to love him, to love your neighbor. There's a hundred things going on in your life, I know. But to live the Christian life, you can't miss those two things, to love God and to love your neighbor. But here's a couple of things I want to pull out of this verse. I want to show the priority that's in this verse, the clarity that comes through this verse. It's going to clarify some things for us. And then I want to just spend some time bringing some insight into our lives. I titled the message, Our Infinity War. Has everybody seen the Marvel movie, Infinity War? Anybody not seen the Marvel movie, Infinity War? All right, a couple of you guys. All right. No, don't go civil war on me. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. So that's about as deep as I get in the Marvel world, but I try. Yeah, that's right, we're in the end game now, true. All right, there's some priorities in this. And, and you guys are, are living in a world, priorities are a challenge today. Because your life has almost what feels like infinite options and infinite opportunities to you. There's more opportunities in your world today than, than perhaps ever in any generation before you. Some of them are in really serious categories. Right? How many of you guys have kept up with you, you, the news? There's a lot of racial tensions, right? Tensions between black and white and Hispanic. And if you're a different race, well, you know, there's more opportunities today for different races than perhaps there's ever been. That situation's not completely made right, but there's more opportunities there. There's, there's more opportunities for women today, right? You can go back years ago and there were, it's not too far back that women couldn't vote, women couldn't drive. There were things that just, that you guys take for granted that just weren't allowed for people to do, but there's opportunities today. You can do some different things. How many of you guys know there's opportunities there's options that are available to you today that, that maybe shouldn't be available to you. And they're really common. When I was growing up, nobody had to think through whether or not they were male or female, whether they were attracted to male or female, whether they would marry male or female. Nobody had those options. Life was much more simple. But in your world, there are people in your classes, in your schools, that, that you may sit next to on a daily basis who are trying to figure out, do I identify as a guy or as a girl? Am I attracted to guys or girls? Or am I attracted to both? Am I going to marry a guy or a girl? And so these options are available in some serious categories. And listen, by the way, your world is making that sound like, well, that's just, that's just kind of normal stuff. Well, it's not normal in God's economy, in God's plan, that's not normal. That's different. But they are options that you're having to face. But you've got options in everyday routines, right? 
You've got more hobbies that you can choose from, more activities you can choose from, more ways of relating to people. Used to be when I was growing up, if you wanted to be around people, you actually had to go be around people. You guys now can just pull a device out, right? And you can instantly be in touch with whoever you want to be in touch with, however you want to be in touch with them. You've got options. So, so in your world of options, I want to ask you, how do you prioritize your life? If, if, you, if you have like four things, you know, it used to be you had four things. Maybe you had family and you had school and maybe a church going on and you had a hobby. You know, and that was about your four things. You need to figure out which one to put first. But you guys have got like 40 things in your world. How do you prioritize your life? What, what gets to be first? Well, Jesus is going to have a conversation about what gets to be first. He's asked the question, what's the most important thing in your life? Commandment of God, he says, but the most important thing in your life. Verse 30, well, this is it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, right? This, this is the, the, the greatest thing that you can ever do in your life is to love God. There's no greater thing that God's interested in. This is God's command, right? There's no greater thing that God is interested in. I'm not sure what you, what's on your list of you saying, hey, when I go to do my life, this is what I think God wants me doing. Do you know the most important thing that God wants from your life is he wants you to love him deeply, affectionately, with a love that's got some depth and some meaning to it. When Jesus turns around and says, love with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, he's finding ways to build the size and the power and, and the way in which this love sits inside of us. Right? This is the kind of love. Look at this patch of words that are here. Right? This is what goes with love. When, when love is involved the way God's calling it to, these words kick in. Right? You become preoccupied with things. There's an affection there's a passion for something. Stuff really matters. You're infatuated by it. There's worship. There's enjoyment. There's a longing to be together. You get absorbed in this stuff. You're captivated by it. You treasure it. It's got value. right? There's a zeal in you. You're excited about things that you love. Listen, if your idea of love doesn't have these words in it, then you really want that kind of love? The things that you love in your life, it's got these kinds of components in it. God turns around and says, the most important thing is that you love God. Well, this is what God's after. God wants this kind of a response in our lives, in our hearts. Now, here's a reality. These words are going to be true about something or some things in your life. And I imagine right now you could say, there are some things in my life right now that these words are true about. At some point, something inside of you, you're not going to have to stroke it, build it up. It's just, it's going to come alive in you. These words will come to life. Suddenly, the question is, what will it be for you that you're going to come alive to? It's going to be friends. It's going to be boys or girls, right? I mean, you guys know you're kind of at the age group where a lot of you guys are at this age where you're transitioning. You've lived life with friends, 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 and all of a sudden you're going to get to this age where your friends are going to suddenly take an interest in the opposite sex. 
And some of them are going to be like boy crazy, and that's all they're going to be talking about, texting like mad and all worried about whether this person's texting me back, what are they saying, and talking to everybody about it. All of a sudden, that just came alive, didn't it? Just like a year earlier, you could have given a rip about that, but suddenly it comes alive in you. There are things that are going to come alive in you that way. Maybe you're going to discover a talent that people take notice of, you're really good at, that nobody else is as good as you are. You stick out. They applaud that. They talk about that. They smile about it. You see what it does to people. It gives you influence over them, and that's going to come alive in you in some way. And when that happens, these kinds of words are going to be, you're going to delight in that. You're going to enjoy that. There's going to be a sense of loyalty and connection to these things in your life. Now, listen, you are going to love something. You're going to love something, and you're going to love something this way. But the question is, what is that going to be? All right, so if you were to try and shop around in your heart, and you want to try and figure out what you love right now? All right, here's, here's an interesting verse to help you discover that. James chapter 4, in your outline there, a little quick blurb here. James 4.1, helpful verse, says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. All right, did, did you know that? Did you know that inside of you there are these passions, these longings, these cravings, these desires, these priorities in your heart? And they're at war within you. They want something. It says these things cause quarrels and fights. You ever, you ever get in a quarrel or a fight? Any of you guys ever been in quarrels or fights? How many of you guys have gotten in a quarrel or fight with your parents? Uh, have you figured out why that is? Besides the fact that they're wrong. Uh, figure out why that is. Right? Why did you get in this quarrel with them? Why did your emotions get all jacked up? Why did you get so angry? Why did you withdraw? Why do you not want to have anything to do with them? Why are you so coming to life on the inside? Well, this is why. If you look in your life right now and you figure out where have I had the most conflicts in my life with my parents, because that's probably the only people you're having severe conflicts with right now. Where has that been? It's going to be in the areas where you love something. You're devoted to something. You have a passion for something. You need something. You long for that thing. You want it in your life a certain way. And then your parents come along and mess with that. And what does that do in you? It sets off fear that I'm not going to have that. That I'm not going to fit in. That thing's not going to work out in my life. Right? I remember two significant moments where this got set off in my life as a teenager. Right? When I was in junior high, and you know, in junior high, I'm coming alive to girls, so I'm, I'm interested in girls, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna about to learn that my parents thought I'm too young to date. And so they're going to step into my world, and they're going to put a boundary up around me and tell me, no, that's not for you right now. How many of you guys know we had a little bit of a conflict in this moment? Right? I became very angry. I became manipulative. I became deceptive. Right? There's a lot of stuff that happens when your passions kick in. I'll lie to you. I'll cover things up. I'll act like things aren't happening that really are happening. Right? A couple years later after that, I had a real desire to hang around older people. That's just kind of kind of the life that I lived. But my parents were wise enough to know that, that me hanging around older people was a bad recipe. 
right? Their influence in my life was producing problems and, and issues. So they step in and they banned a couple of people in my life. You're not allowed to be around this guy and that guy. You're not allowed to be around, with, around them. How I many of you guys know that a conflict result uh, took place then? But, but listen, I'm not just trying to tell you that, hey, you're going to have problems with your parents. You know, it's just going to happen. Welcome to life. I'm trying to get you to realize the reason I had problems was because there was a passion inside of me. I loved something. I wanted something. And if you got in the way of that, we're going to have a problem. How many of you guys would have a problem if your parents took your cell phone away from you? Come on. Honestly. If your parents just decided, you know, don't like the time you're spending or the people you're interacting with or the this or the that. We're going to take your phone away. How many of you guys would get launched into a conflict in that moment? Now listen, if the only thing you're thinking, this is what I mean by trajectory. This is what I mean by you sat in a youth meeting and something came to you that took you into the future. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Is anything coming into you right now besides, well, if it took my phone away, uh, what would you do? Go, go, well, I'd go use my friend's phone. Okay, so now, now you're disobedient and you're a liar. Uh, well, I would, uh, I'd, I'd go secretly use apps that they don't know that, that I'm even using. Okay, so you're a deceiver. Right? But, so, but this is not about that. This is about you discovering why do you want that so bad? Why are you having a conflict? The conflict is advertising for you something on the inside of you. You love something and you've come alive to it. And if your parents or anybody gets in the way of it, you're going after them. You'll ignore it. These are the people who gave birth to you, who've loved you, who've cared for you, have fed you, stayed up all night with you. But they're your enemy now. You don't want anything to do with them. You got nothing good to say about them. You won't even look them in the eye. Do you ever try to figure out why is that? What's going on on the inside of me? What's going on on the inside of you is what Jesus is after. You loving God in such a way that your insights have come alive. You've come alive. You've, you've tasted something that's made you come alive to that thing, and now you've got to have it. Did you know God wants you to love him that way? He's not interested in some other cheap form of love. We use the word love, and it doesn't have any of these other words attached to it. He wants all these words attached to it when we go to love God. All right, I'm a Switchfoot fan. I don't know if you're a Switchfoot fan, but you should be if you're not. Right? Switchfoot's got a song called The Afterlife. And I love what it says. I love that their lyrics make you think. All right, here's what the lyrics say. It says, I've tasted fire. I'm ready to come alive. I can't just shut it up and fake that I'm all right. I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. And later it says, because every day the world is made a chance to change. But I feel the same. And I wonder, why would I wait till I die to come alive. I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. Right? At some point, this, this, is, this is about coming alive to God. Right? Coming alive now to God. There's something about being young that says, you know, coming alive this kind of a way, well, that's for old people, isn't it? Like, like Cliff. That's for old people. That's for people, this is almost like, that's for people who are dead. You know, they don't have anything else to do. They're dead. They're in heaven. What else is there? They're going to worship God. They're going to be affectionate toward God. God's going to be a big deal. That's for them, right? Are you waiting for the afterlife to love God? Is that what you're waiting for? 
If you're waiting to love God, I think this, I think this song is very helpful. If you're waiting to love God, I think it's because you haven't tasted fire. Because I don't know anybody who can taste God and not love God. And if you can, you might want to question whether you've really tasted God. When I was just for a turn 15 years old, I've shared my testimony story with you guys before. So I was your age when I came to know the Lord. I didn't, didn't know the Lord. And then I came to know the Lord right before I turned 15 years old. My, my life came alive to God. It's like God came on the scene in a way that had power and had influence. Right? This is literally the story of, of my salvation was, took place on a Friday night in February of 1979. I went to a meeting, just a meeting, and I just, I just encountered God, and I went forward, and I just surrendered my life to him, and, and he came into my heart in a powerful way. I, I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do next. A week later, on the next Friday night, you know, every weekend for me was just living for a party. I just wanted to be with friends. I wanted to go party. I wanted to go do stuff and drink things and just the way I lived. But I got saved on this Friday night before, and I tasted God. And so the next weekend comes around, and it's like God had shoved all those other things into another place in my life. I didn't want those things anymore. God had shown I had tasted fire, and I came alive to God, and suddenly the other things that were so tempting weren't so tempting anymore. I didn't want them the same way that I just had wanted them earlier. Listen, this is what God is talking about when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. God's looking for you to come alive to him in such a way that he becomes the thing that says, hey, that thing over there, I'm not interested in that. And you're not interested in it either because you love God more than anything else. Right? So this is a helpful verse. It's a clarifying verse. Right? This is the nature of what a right relationship with God looks like. There's, there's a bunch of bad ideas out there that you guys get front row seats for what's supposedly a relationship with God looks like. Look, I, I labeled a few of these. How many of you guys have been exposed to the Grammy Award winner relationship with God? Have you all seen this? You ever watch the Grammy Awards? Grammy Award winner relationship with God. I always love the rap artist category. When the rap artist wins the Grammy and he makes his way up, takes the microphone, of course, his, his CD has got more profanity in it. It's cursing everything under the sun. It's against anything that wears any form of authority. It hates policemen, wants to shoot them, and, and wants to have sex with anything that moves. And then he takes the microphone and he stands up. And the first thing he says is, i just like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled by that. Really? really? You, you can sing about and celebrate things that put Jesus Christ on the cross to bear the judgment for those sins? You can sing about that and celebrate that and then stand up and thank God? Uh, I, that's confusing. That doesn't look like a love that's full from your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength and everything about you. 
listen, I grew up around religious people. There's a religious version of supposedly relating to God. But in my religious setting that I grew up in, nobody talked about God on a daily basis. You didn't pray. You didn't open your Bible. You didn't encounter God. There, there wasn't moments where you were wrestling through things and you wanted to get near to God. That stuff just didn't happen. But yet we were religious and we went to church. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This verse is very clarifying, very helpful. You guys are growing up in a setting where you get around the things of of God. You get around those things. But have you come alive to them in such a way that you love God with every fiber of your being? Here's my last category. This is where I want to land in the mind and the strength category. Jesus didn't just say, hey man, just just love Jesus. You know, people have this category, I'm just loving Jesus. Just into loving Jesus. He doesn't just say to love God. He turns around and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. All right, so before you sat down in this verse, this, this retreat, were you aware that you're made up of those things? that those categories, those dimensions exist within you. There's, there's an aspect of you that's heart, soul, mind, strength. And this isn't the only list that God has that, that depicts who you are. Did you know the Bible describes you as flesh and spirit? That there's, there's two aspects of you. And when you go to do your life, you have to pay attention to both and learn something about who you are in both categories. That there's a, there's a physical dimension of who you are. You feel life and experience it a certain way. There's an invisible dimension of who you are. So here's what God's interested in. God, God wants all of those dimensions of you. God wants to harness all of those dimensions of your life. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And this is why I call this our infinity war. Because that, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You guys remember the the plot to Infinity War? Um, I'm a little slow, so it kind of took me a while to put some of these pieces together. As a matter of fact, what clued me in was when I think we were going to see the Infinity War, and I realized some of my boys hadn't seen certain movies, and I started realizing I didn't know you had to see certain movies to understand this thing. So apparently I'm really not understanding it because I don't know which movies are must movies to see. But eventually what became clear was the whole plot line behind these movies, and they just sound like they're random movies, right, is that there are these infinity stones that got hurled out into the universe. And the bad guy in the movie, Thanos, he's trying to collect them all. And remember, he's going to put on that weird-looking glove, and he's going to put all those stones, he's going to harness all those stones together, right? A little list there, there's a space stone. I find it interesting, there's a mind stone, we're talking about that, reality stone, there's a power stone, there's a time stone, there's a soul stone. So you have all these dimensions of the universe's existence, and what he wants to do is he wants to harness them all. Because if you harness them all, you control the universe. All right, so that's the plot line of the Infinity War. But that's also kind of the plot line of this verse that we're looking at. There are these dimensions of who we are. And God is interested in harnessing every one of them. There's a heart dimension, 
a soul dimension, a mind dimension to who we are, and a strength dimension to who we are. And when those things get harnessed, whatever harnesses them is what you will love. And whatever you love is what you will live your life for. And so in in some way, this is what directs your universe. Your universe gets directed by what harnesses. And I'm just going to talk about two aspects of these, the mind and the strength. What harnesses those things controls your love. And whatever it is that you love will control your life. So this is no small thing, right? This is how you're going to live your life this way. So I think I wrote this out in your outline there. So so another way of seeing this verse is that there is a war for the dimensions of life taking place in our universe. God seeks these dimensions to come together in our lives and to launch our hearts toward him in powerful affection. But sin and Satan seek to harness these dimensions for some other purpose. Guys, you live your life every day in the context of a war. You get that when you watch a Marvel movie, right? It's all kinds of deception. There's good guys, there's bad guys, there's maneuvering, there's an agenda, there's strategy taking place. But that's your world too. That's exactly what's happening in this world. Because there is a real enemy. His name's not Thanos. He's the devil. And he's after these stones in your life. He's after your heart, your soul in your mind, in your strength. And so I think what, what Evan wants us to do this week that we're here is, is see these things clearly. You came to this camp. Are you aware that, that you, you have these dimensions in your life and you are responsible for these dimensions in your life? All right? So I, I know I mean, some of you guys are, are much younger um, I don't want to take anybody off the hook here because at some point you need to hear these things exist in you and you are responsible for them. I know your parents have influence over them. I know pastors have influence over them. But understand, you're going to answer to God for them one day. I'm going to answer for being a pastor in your life. I'm not going to answer for what you did with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you are. You're going to answer for that. So I, I want you to not only be aware, I want you to just walk away from this weekend going, hey, I learned that I'm made up of these dimensions. Interesting. I want you to realize you're responsible for them as well. So listen to the way the Bible describes these things, right? Let's walk through these two, just two dimensions, the mind and the strength. All right, here's the word for mind. That word mind in this passage in Mark, it means the disposition or the thought or perspective the idea or opinion or judgment, your resolve of intention, the meaning of words or statements. This is, this is what the mind engages, right? So I love a couple of these. Your disposition, your perspective, your opinion. right? If I were to ask you today for your disposition about hot topic issues that you're venturing into in your life, about gender identity, about sexual identity and attraction for same sex versus opposite sex. If I were to ask you your opinion about that, who would your mind agree with? You live in a culture that says something to you over and over and over and over again, but you are responsible for your mind. 
Are you believing just because you're hearing? Because you've seen it? Because it's become familiar? Because your generation isn't shocked by it? God says you're responsible for the disposition, the attitude, the perspective that you have on issues like that. Do you guys even notice that, you know, a lot of social media is this, a lot of social media, let's be honest, is is self-absorption and self-promotion. Do you guys notice that? I mean, it's, it's people who are very absorbed in their own life, and they want to advertise and publish their own life so that you can become absorbed in it as well. So they're paying attention carefully to who they are, what they are, what they're doing, preserving it all in images, and then publishing it for others to see. Now, that, that's normal. That's what life looks like every day for you. What's your disposition towards a world as to, should it be so self-oriented? Should the whole world take notice of you, be about you, or... Does God want a mindset of self-forgetfulness, of serving, of sending the attention to others, that I don't exist in this world to get all of you to pay attention to me. I exist to turn attention to God and to the things that God does in other people. Can you celebrate what God does in others? Can Can you look at your friends' lives, what they've achieved, what they've accomplished, and just be happy for them? Be celebrating what God has done somewhere else, or does that make you feel like, well, I'm being overlooked, or what about me, or I'm jealous, or I'm envious, or I wasn't included in that. I'm not being made to be a, a big deal. If that's what comes up in your heart, that's a, that's a mind issue. That's how you think about things, right? This is what your mind does. Here's a list of what your mind is. Your mind is where consideration takes place. I hear something for the first time, I'm just considering it. Your mind is where contemplation is taking place. Your mind is where negotiation is taking place, right? Something comes to you. It's tempting. It's offering you something. You, you negotiate. Well, maybe I could do this much, but not that much. I won't go this far, but I'll go this far. The mind is where debate and discussion is taking place. You're debating in your mind about what you believe, what you're going to do, who you're going to be. The mind is, is where you argue and assess and act on the things that come to you. All right, look at this verse with it. This is one of the first verses that I ever memorized as a Christian. Romans chapter 12, super insightful, will serve you for the rest of your life. You'll be 30, 40 years later in the Lord and still quoting this verse as though it's, it's fresh. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God who's your spiritual which is your spiritual service of worship now listen do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect Right, a couple of things that you're going to learn from this verse that are super critical. You have a mind. But did you know that your mind is moldable? It's just a fact. Your mind is moldable. You guys know what a mold is? I don't, not, not that stuff that grows on the wall when you get too much moisture in your house. You know what a mold is? Uh, you, know, you guys know what a jello mold is? You, ever, you guys like to cook, you make jello mold. Um, ice cubes. 
Now, you guys have seen ice cubes, right? Everybody's seen an ice cube. Right? There's a mold that makes that ice cube. Right? So what you do is you, you pour something in when it's liquid or, or soft, and then with time, you let it firm up and harden. So, you know, jello that looks like some particular shape or ice cubes or football helmets, if you guys are into football, right? Somebody at some point poured liquid plastic into a mold that was shaped like a helmet. And what came out of that when it hardened was a helmet that you, you now wear. Did you know your mind is like that? That your mind is moldable. Your, your mind is, it's like Play-Doh. It's, it's going to take on a shape. And it's going to get pressed and shaped. And then over time, it's going to get hardened into that condition. Did you know your mind is like that? I mean, maybe you walked in tonight and you weren't even thinking, oh, I wasn't even thinking I had a mind. Well, you, you have a mind. You have to manage it. And this is what it's like. It's vulnerable to being shaped by something. That's why the Bible comes along and says, it gives you a command here. Do not be molded by this world. Now, remember, the world has a mold for everything that you're going to be involved with in life. Anything that God has a plan for, the world has a mold for. And it will do whatever it can to press you into that shape, right? There's a, there's a fun mold and a boring mold and an adventure mold and an entertainment mold, right? How many of you guys have figured out that the worst thing in your world you could ever be in your life is bored? Did you guys figure that out? It's like, I mean, all my kids are older now. They stopped saying this except for one of them. It's around here somewhere. But, you know, he, he just come and say it to me. It's like, bored. Bored. And he'll say it like, I'm a leper. You know, I've got cancer. I mean, it's just so serious and like, oh my gosh, how many days do you have left? Oh, I'm sorry, you were just bored? Oh, you'll get over it. But boredom sounds like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. There's this mold in life of fun and entertainment and adventure. And if, if you're not in that shape or pressed into that mold, oh, you poor, terrible human being. Right? The world has a mold for that. The world has a mold for your appearance, for acceptance, a mold for performance. How many of you guys have figured out that if you don't dance to the tune that everybody wants you to dance to, they won't be your friend? Have you figured this out? That, that there is an expectation that people expect you to dress a certain way, act a certain way, fit in a certain way, applaud them a certain way. And if you stop liking them or doing their thing for them, you're done with them. They'll turn their back on you. Have you figured that out? Because they have a mold and they're going to press you into that mold and then you're going to feel the pressure to perform and to act a certain way, to fit in, to make sure you laugh at the right jokes that they're telling, even though if you don't think they're funny or not. To dress in a certain way, not because it really makes sense for you to wear those clothes and to insist that your parents buy those clothes, but you know that if you don't dress the way they expect you to dress, you're not going to fit in. There's a mold. You're going to be forced into that mold. Authority has a mold. The world's mold in authority doesn't want any authority. Do you know how upside down that is? Do you know that God wants you to have authority in your life? You know, authority, you know what authority can do? Authority can make rules. Authority can install boundaries. Authority can tell you no. Authority has all the rights in the world to direct you. You wanted to go that way, but authority has the right to say no. You're going to go this way. Did you know God doesn't apologize for that? It's like, oh, uh, look, uh, 
Look, kids, I've got, please don't be mad at me about this, but I'm going to give you parents. <laughs> and they're going to think they can tell you what to do. Listen, I'm, so, I'm sorry. It was a bad day in heaven. I had a bad idea. Give me a break. Not everything I did was excellent. So there is this thing called authority. I know it's really stupid. Can you imagine? I don't know what I was thinking on that day, that you wouldn't have the right to tell yourself whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. I know. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's just what I was thinking. So I thought of this idea that you'd have parents. And, and, and not only that, then I turned around and required you to honor them. I don't know what I was thinking. I know it's crazy, right? Do you know the Bible never sounds that way? But do you know the world does? Because the world has a mold. It wants to make you think like it thinks. It wants you to devalue authority. It doesn't want you to see that there are people in your life who are a blessing, who are a source of protection, who know things you don't know. Can I tell you, my parents were exactly right. I hated them. But they were exactly right. In seventh grade, I had no business dating anybody. They were right. Listen, I became a drug user and an alcohol drinker because I hung around the people my parents said, do not hang around them. I did anyway because I was a liar and I was a deceiver and I would figure out a way to do what I wanted to do. Guess what? They were right, right? 12-year-olds don't look cool walking around the neighborhood smoking. I thought I did. I thought I looked really, really cool doing that. Right? 13-year-olds aren't doing something good for themselves when they're smoking marijuana. My parents were smart enough to know that. And God gave them to me as a benefit and a blessing in my life. But I rebelled against that. I didn't like that idea. I resisted it. I was against it. There's a mold in your world. There, there is a changing, shifting sexuality mold that you guys are going to run the gauntlet on. Some of you guys are just young enough to be figuring this out. In the years that come, you're going to have friends around you that suddenly are going to be interested in guys one day and girls the next. Wow. When did that happen? And you're supposed to be on board with that, tolerant, of that? Cool. If you want to fit in, you can't have an opinion against that. You can't disagree with that. That's going to be a mold. You're going to be pressed into that mold. Everything that God has a plan for, the world has a mold for, to reshape it the way they want it. All right, guys, be sobered by this next thought. We are responsible for our minds. The Bible clearly holds out you and I have a responsibility to do something with our minds. God has given them to us, but we're to do something with them. That's why Jesus can turn around and say in a responsible way, you shall love the Lord with your mind. Love God with your mind. He puts that into our lap to do that. John Piper says, loving God with all our mind means wholly engaging our thinking to do all it can to awaken and express the heartfelt fullness of treasuring God above all things, to do all I can. What am I doing to awaken in me a treasuring of God? Well, my mind is going to play a big role in that. What am I doing with my mind in that category? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 here. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being 
sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everybody got to know that you got this hope on the inside of you, right? You've got this, this hope for a future, this hope for relationship, this hope for things that are going to be good. You're going to set it somewhere. You're going to pick that thing up from the inside of you. And you're going to set it somewhere. And God says, hey, be sober-minded, right? Use your mind. Think about where you're going to set this. Set your hope fully on the grace that will come from Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be molded by what the world wants. Guys, that's a, that's a command that every one of us gets to answer for. If, if, I'm, if I'm here right now and my life has taken on the shape, it's been conformed to the passions of this world, I will answer to God for that because he's commanded me not to do that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, This I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, right? Your mind is going to influence your walk, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, right? And you got two infinity stones here, right, in this passage. You've got your mind and you've got your heart. They, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, right? So when your mind gets harnessed and your heart gets harnessed, your walk goes in a particular direction, right? Because your love goes in that direction and you're going to walk out the things that you love, the things that you really have a passion for. But how did that happen? How's that going to happen in your life? Listen, guys, please pick up on this because this is part of the trajectory of your future, it's not that you just suddenly found yourself in sin. You suddenly found yourself in a bad relationship, walking things out destructively. Problems were in your life. It's not just that it was, that's not just what happened. Before that happened, your mind got harnessed by something and your heart got harnessed by something and you begin to love something and your walk looks like what you love. That's how you got there. Don't, don't just live this surfacey, oh, I just, I just know I'm out of bounds. Just my parents keep telling me I shouldn't do that. There's more to it than that. Why do you want to do it? Because your mind has gotten harnessed by something else. And we'll see in a second, your strength has too. But once that gets harnessed, Thanos just has to snap his fingers now, right? Because once he's got your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, he owns what you love. And that's how the enemy operates in our lives. Last thing from that Romans passage there, 2 Peter chapter 3, the mind is in need of renewal, right? The passage there says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Your mind can be changed, right? Learn that about, you have a mind, it can be molded, but your mind can be changed, your mind can be renewed, your mind can be transformed. 2 Peter 3 verse 1 says, this now, beloved, Peter's writing, to Christians, he says, this is the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your mind. Stirring up your mind. Your mind that may have gotten hardened, gotten set. I'm stirring it up, though, by way of reminder 
that you should remember the words spoken by the prophets and by the apostles. That's what this says. Remember. I'm stirring you up that you might remember something. How many of you guys know that you can't remember what you never knew? Is that profound and deep? If you never knew it, you can't remember it, right? This is a passage about knowing something about God. Guys, what's going into your mind? What are you filling your mind up with? What do you spend time looking at, reading, learning? I know you guys are young, but you know, sometimes it's like, well, again, if you've tasted fire, you're ready to come alive, right? I want to know God. I want to pick my Bible up and I want to know God, right? It, you know, everybody, every age group in this room, you can read and you're learning about American history and uh, you're learning math and science and all kinds of things. Did you know you can know this? This isn't an old person book. This isn't like, well, when you get older, then I'll be able to read that and understand. You can read and understand it now. God can bring it to life in you now. But if, if that's not what happened, this is the problem in this passage is this ignorance that was in the earlier passage in Ephesians, that ignorance that's there, it creates this place of darkness. And if you're going to go stir up your heart toward God, if there's nothing there to stir, what are you going to do? You got nothing in your mind. Guys, quite simply, you got to put something in your mind. You're going to have to make room to put things in your mind so that they're available to you when you go to stir your mind up so that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and lastly, strength. Let's look real quickly at strength here. That word strength has got an interesting word to it in the scriptures. It means might. But I love this sense about the word. It has the sense of ability or capacity, right? Love the Lord with your abilities. Love the Lord with your capacity. There's, there's a capacity in you. You've got an ability at a certain level. God says, love the Lord with that, right? So I wrote this in your outline. It says, your strength stone, if you will, is about harnessing your vitality, your energy, your enthusiasm. Your intensity, it hangs out with words like spent and fatigued and exhausted and poured out. Listen, when you've engaged your strength, you've spent yourself on something. And God turns around and says, love the Lord with your strength. Spend yourself on God. Think on God. Study God. Know God. Walk with God. Relate to God in a way that actually at some point you've spent your strength on God. Right? Jesus had an idea about love that didn't look lazy. It didn't look like, well, you know, maybe I'll get up off the sofa and pick my Bible up. No, love the Lord with your strength. Take the vibrancy, the enthusiasm, the eagerness that you have inside of you. Spend it on God. That's what it means to love him. All right, here's the reality. Two thoughts. Your strength is a precious, limited resource. It's not infinite. It will run out and be used up, and it will take time to replenish. All right? We get this like no other human beings on earth have gotten this because we, we spend a lot of time making sure our device isn't about to die, right? We make sure we check our little battery deal. 
to say how much how much do I have left? How much do I have left? How much? And we've got a we've got a practice that we have. We replenish the strength. We plug it in at night. We plug it in at certain times. We make sure they've got a backup because because we know we're going to spend the strength of this device and it's going to run out because it's limited. And we've got a plan to make sure this thing never gets to zero. Right. So we know something about managing our strength. But, but guys, let me. I'm gonna give you two quotes from books that you probably won't read. These are old people books for sure. Um, unlike the Bible. But Oz Guinness wrote an interesting book about people in this current day. And and he's talking about the world that you live in because your device creates a pace of life for you. It it exposes you to people and ideas and stuff and activity, right? That's pace of life. It's going to use up some of your strength, your energy. He says, what we wish to say and anything we wish to send is there before we know it. And all effortlessly, the touch of a button or a computer key. To be sure, the result is a world of instant gratification and a thousand effortless conveniences that are all to our good, but it is also a world of constant overload. Right? You always, through your device, you always have access to more than you can keep up with. At some point, you will overload your life. Right? Now, why does this become a matter for us? Because if you spend your strength on these things, you won't spend it on God. You'll use up your strength just doing daily routines. But God turns around and says, wait, wait, wait. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love me with your energy. Save some of that energy for me. Spend it on me. Turn your attention to me. Give me your affections. Think with me. Ponder. Argue with me. Have a discussion. Don't just have those kinds of conversations with friends through a device. Have it with God. All right, second thing, your strength is a precious, limited resource. It's not infinite, which means something simple but huge. You can't do everything. We, we might need to tell ourselves that a few times. You can't do everything. At some point, if you're going to spend your strength on God, you're going to have to say no to some other things in your life. You're going to have to say no. You're going to have to look at the activities of your life and say, no, no. Why? Because I want to reserve some strength for God. I want to relate to him not exhausted, not spent on other things. I'm not available to God. I don't have any strength left for God. Do you understand why so many haven't come alive and experienced God? Because there's just no strength left for God. What we offer God is so weak. God says, I don't, I don't want the weak part of you. I want the best part of you. I want your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love me with everything you are. All right, you guys know this. Personal fact. Something is harnessing your strength. Something. It's not wrong for these things, by the way, to grab some of our strength. We're supposed to use our strength in in a variety of ways. But maybe sports or music or academics. You spend yourself on these things. You give yourself to these things. Social media connections being connected and popular, being guy crazy or girl crazy, that takes energy. 
right? To be thinking about, do they like me? Do they not like me? They didn't contact me. They didn't, I sent a text and they didn't respond. I sent them two more texts and they still didn't respond. I mean, this is like strategy. You're arguing with yourself. This takes energy. You're spending your energy when you do that. Xbox, YouTube, Netflix. You spent some of your energy. How many guys, I mean, don't raise your hands because it's a little embarrassing to admit this. You get to the end of the day and you just like turn no attention to God. God didn't get my attention once. And, and what would you say to that, right? Well, you know, I mean, I'm so busy. I just haven't had time lately. While, while you stared into your device, you, know, you guys all know that your device now can tell you how many hours you've spent staring at it each day. Have y'all looked at that? Do you get shocked sometimes by, oh my gosh, I spent that much time this week every day staring at my phone. And then you get to the end of the day and you're like, but, you know, I just didn't have any time for God. But you, you are like um, master of the Fortnite universe. I mean, you, you are running the world in the world of Fortnite. You spent hours killing everybody that you know. Um, Okay, or maybe you've been binge-watching something on Netflix or YouTubing strangers that just do weird stuff and publish things and you subscribe to their weirdness over and over and over again. I know that it all makes sense, but at the end of the day, Jesus stands and says, I got dibs on your strength. I, I don't want your leftovers. I don't want to be down the list. I don't want to be unimportant to you. I'm God. I'm not going to sit in that category. I refuse. The love I'm looking for takes a chunk of you. It takes your strength to love me. Here's one more interesting thought from another book you're not going to read. Cal Newport. He's a very interesting writer, actually. He says, a common term I heard, right, he researched a book that was trying to help people to narrow the focus of their life. Right, because they were, they were just into too many things. And so he wrote a really good book, and he wrote a second book, just about helping people to focus their life on things that were really, really important to them. Right? And so when in this research, he says, a common term I heard in these conversations about modern digital life was exhaustion. Exhaustion. People are exhausted. They've spent their energy and their strength. It's not that any one app or website was particularly bad when considered in isolation. As many people clarify, the issue was the overall impact of having so many different shiny baubles pulling so insistently on their attention and manipulating their mood. Stop. Manipulating their mood. Oh my gosh, you guys are teenagers. If there's any guys who have mood problems, it's teenagers. I, mean, I hate to break it to you. And part of that's normal because your body is changing. So there's all kinds of stuff that turns your moods upside down for unpredictable reasons. But when you stare into a device, you have 24 hours of tuning into what other people are doing and what other people are doing are affecting your mood because you got left out. You got defeatured. You got defriended. Somebody else who you had an interest in how is a boyfriend who's somebody else. And you're watching all that. So no matter where you are, you're trying to have a nice dinner with friends or family, but you just happen to stare at your device two seconds ago, and boom, there went your mood. And boom, there went your mood, because something else manipulates your mood. Do you know what takes your strength to manage your mood? 
emotions take a lot of strength to manage them. You know, some of your emotions and your moods are being generated by your device time. I mean, you got to manage some of this stuff, right? He goes on and says their problem with this frenzied activities is less about its details than the fact that it's increasingly beyond their control. Few want to spend so much time online, but these tools have a way of cultivating behavioral addictions. The urge to check, and this is old people check this stuff, Twitter and Reddit, I don't know what you guys check, something different. It becomes a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards too small to support the presence necessary for an intentional life. You guys are growing up in a, in a, 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 a thought span, an attention span. It just lasts a few seconds before you check your device to see if there's something else going on outside of the conversation you're having right here. You just check that. A few minutes later, we're going to check it again. A few minutes later, we're going to check it again. Yeah. And you just live your mind with these little bitty pieces of attention. So I give my attention in 30-second sound bites. How many of you guys know you're not going to know God well in 30-second sound bites? Did you know that? Listen, that's not an old person telling you that. That's just biblical. There's a word called meditation that's in this. Meditation requires your mind to sit in one space and to think over and over and over and deeply and deeply and over about things about God. And then suddenly, after you've done that for a very long time, you see something and you taste it. And suddenly you don't want anything else but more of that. Guys, if you're going to have a 30-second relationship with God, because that's how long your time span of attention is, you'll never taste some of those things. You, you almost will never be able to say, I tasted fire and I'm ready to come alive. You probably won't. Right? So... There's a war out there. There is a war that's biting for you to give your attention, your strength, your mind to something else. There is a real enemy that once he harnesses your mind and he harnesses your strength, he will own your love and your love will get spent on something outside of God. So I know, not, I know that's a Marvel movie, but you know a lot of times movies and literature imitate real life. They take things. They take even biblical things. And they explore them. Well, guys, there is a real enemy out there. He wants to take a hold of your life. And in this strength category, right, this verse, and we're going to pray for you guys in just a moment. This, this verse is about being intentional in particular areas. Loving God with your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. Be intentional in those categories. And Jesus says, put that Matthew verse, here got a couple of Matthew verses up here. That word there, listen to that first verse there. No one can serve two masters, right? That's, that's an ability word. That's a capacity word, right? Kind of like strength. The Bible's come around and tell you, no one can. You, you don't have the ability to do it for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and something else. You, you can't 
do it. That's why Jesus comes along and says, you will love the Lord your God with every bit of you. I will be at the top. And if you try to make me second to anything else, you'll end up despising me in some ways. Let me tell you what that means before we pray for you guys. When you you live your life loving something besides God, and then you live with parents or pastors or settings like this, or your own conscience that wants you to read your Bible and wants you to pray and wants you to do godly things and wants you to worship and wants you to extend the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel with others. When your heart is bound to something else, you don't want to do those things. But yet somebody keeps nagging you to do them. Your parents are nagging you. Have you read your Bible? And everything becomes, it feels like a nag. You begin to despise that. There's something about giving your heart to something else that when this keeps poking at you, you begin to despise it. Right? Guys, you know too many people who do this. You know what's limiting your ability to really despise this and hate it and flip out is that you live at home with your parents. But this is what I watched happen when I was doing youth ministry. At about 10th to 11th grade, I used to call it the tripwire. At about 10th to 11th grade, suddenly young people would change. Sixth grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, 9th grade, they, you know, they kind of went with the flow and they did okay. They wanted to please everybody, wanted to please their parents, wanted to please the pastors, etc. Something happens at about 10th and 11th grade where all of a sudden you're ready to be your own person. And so now the things that you love, you want everything else to get the hell out of the way. I want to go love what I want to love. And so the last two years of your high school years are very hostile. They're very broken relationship with your parents. And then you leave, you go off to college, you got nothing to do with God. You don't have any interest in God. You stop going to church, right? You want to look around our church? I, I challenge you guys to do this. Look around our church and see how many people are between the age of 20 and 25 in our church. You won't find a lot of them. Do you want to know why? Because when they got old enough to quit being required to be religious, they went their own way because they didn't love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Somebody was forcing them, and they ended up despising God. It's not because their parents should not have been requiring them to go to church. Those are all fake arguments. This is why. This is why. Because you don't have the capacity to love two things. That's why Jesus says, don't put me in line with something else. Don't think you're going to love me and spend your strength and your mind and your soul and your heart on something else. You're not going to do it. You'll love that. And you'll end up despising me. Listen, tonight God's after your love, passion, affection, longings, enjoyment, adventure, excitement, pursuit, loyalty. That's what he's after. Let's stand up together. you coming up here, man?
guys, I, I know you, you guys have had a lot going on today. <clears throat> you've been taught a couple times already. You've had all kinds of activities. But, but remember what I shared in the beginning. If God deposited something, made you aware of something, just kind of pricked your heart about something tonight, that, that's going to have a trajectory into your future. Are there are things that God is, is showing you right now in this meeting tonight that are going to generate a text to your pastor 20 years from now or going to come out in a counseling appointment 20 years from now. Right? Don't treat these moments like they don't matter. They matter. So there's something God's showing you tonight. Respond to God in that, right? So let's pray together and let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us to respond to him. Lord, thank you for these moments, these settings, these times when you draw near to us. Lord, I pray tonight. I pray for young people that are here to experience, Lord, what it is to come alive to you to have a love that is in them that touches every dimension of who they are. It's not casual. It's 